everybody. Welcome to another edition of the PR Masters Podcast Series. I'm Art Stevens, your host. I'm also managing partner of the Stevens Group, a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. The PR Masters Podcast honors living legends in our profession, individuals who have made a mark in the world of public relations. And we have such a very special guest today, and I'm very pleased to welcome to PR Masters Podcast Series, Alexis Davis-Smith, who, out of Atlanta, is president and CEO of Precise uh, Communications, or with a capital P and a capital R in Precise, uh, and she's co-founder of the Change Agencies. Alexis is a fixture in the world of uh, African-American public relations and public relations at large. She's building on nearly 30 years of experience as a trusted communications strategist. She's a leader in Atlanta's public relations industry and a national voice for multicultural marketing. And she's responsible for creating breakthrough and strategic communications programs for major consumer brands such as Coca-Cola, Toyota, and Pfizer. That's quite, that's quite a blue-chip list there, uh, Alexis. Uh, <laughs> Alexis you. maximizes her influence and position to really help make a difference in the community. And as a result of her recommendation, uh, many major corporations have established various programs at Alexis's urging that will preserve black history, uh, the world of uh, African, uh, African-American background and the history in our country, uh, the relationship between all of our communities, and, uh, and when she established Precise Communications in 2000, I didn't know it went back that far, Alexis, but she was an account <laughs> executive at Ketchum, another recognizable name in the world of public relations. Ketchum is a top 10 global public relations firm where she traveled the world supporting key consumer accounts. And in 1998, she co-founded the agency's African-American Markets Group, one of the first ever really, let me stress that, one of the first ever in-house ethnic marketing teams created by an international PR agency. And her work since that time has established her as a national, uh, recognizable, multicultural communications expert. Uh, She has been very active in the public relations, in the Black Public Relations Society of Atlanta, where she is immediate past president, and she has helped to grow the membership by 30% and she's earned Chapter of the Year Award while its leader. She's also received many, many other awards. She's been, she's been the recipient of the Silver Anvil, which, of course, is the Oscar of PR from the Public Relations Society of America. She's won seven Phoenix Awards from PRSA of Georgia, uh, and so on. Uh, I'm very pleased to have you with us today, Alexis. You have quite a background, quite a resume, uh, and you are truly a leader uh, in our industry. So please welcome Alexis and thank you for joining us. Art, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and I just want to commend you and thank you for producing this amazing podcast, which has featured several PR masters that I respect and admire, including Barry Rafferty and Patrice Tanaka, just to name a few. So thank you. I'm excited to be here today. Oh, thank you, Alexis. Yes. We've had some good ones, and you're, you're up there in those categories, believe me. 
So Thank you. my first question to you, Alexis, is, you know, as indicated, uh, you wouldn't be with us today if you weren't considered a legend in the public relations industry. So uh, I say that to you immodestly because uh, you deserve that reputation. So, you know, your contributions to racial equality and the public relations profession will always be part of your legacy. So why don't you start out by telling us how you got started in public relations and how you segued into the top roles that you've had. Thank you. So first I want to say thank you for considering me a legend and and saying it modestly because I don't really see myself myself or consider myself a legend as of yet, but maybe I will be after this interview, and that's what I'm definitely (laughs) striving for. Not just a legend, but to lead a legacy or leave a legacy behind. But I do see myself as a change agent and a trailblazer because ultimately my goal is to help change society and improve racial equity through my profession, my relationships, my influence, and my voice. And so I am committed to always using those assets to draw attention to marginalized communities, Um, particularly over the last year where there's been a lot of conversation about, you know, Black Lives Matter in society. Well, one thing I've been saying now for almost 30 years is that Black consumers matter, Hispanic consumers matter, Asian American consumers matter when it comes to marketing and PR in in our industry. So I really work hard every day to make sure that our industry and corporate America and consumer brands hear that. So I am working on the legendary status. So thank you for saying it. Maybe if we say it, you know, multiple times, then it will take. So thank you. Um, But to answer your question on how to, how I got started and how I segued into, you know, the roles that I've had, public relations is in my blood. My mother was a journalist in Philadelphia working for one of the oldest African-American newspapers in the country called the Philadelphia Tribune. And from there, she went on to work in public relations from an agency and then later into nonprofit. And then later, she was a freelance consultant herself. So I actually grew up watching her at events, managing media, managing organizations' leadership as well as like helping her proof and write newsletters and fact sheets and things like that. So I've been in this field somewhat since about 12 years old, um, but I was always fascinated by that. And when I went to college, I really thought, you know, I'm going to be a psychologist. And someone said to me, actually, I think it was my mom that said to me, Alexa, if you're a psychologist, you're going to come home every day crying because you're going to want to fix all the kids and you're going to want to take them home. And I said, you know, mom, you have a point. I thought about what I really loved and what I realized was that I was really fascinated with corporate America and business, but I was also very interested in showing my creative side. And I always liked writing. When I was younger, I would create little businesses and create promotional flyers and drive around and drop them off at at neighbors' houses trying to sell my business. So I think the marketing PR person has always been a part of me. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions now, which which I I did not list for you in in, in some of the Mm -hmm. You know some of the advanced questions I asked you just to get your you know your 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 mind going on uh, 
what it is that you know our listeners would be interested in. But uh, here are a couple of questions that I want to ask you. First of all, uh, did you did you play any role in the uh, uh, recent uh, Senate campaigns in the state of Georgia? Uh, if you did, tell us about it. If you didn't, what's your what's your take on that? Unfortunately, I did not take a role outside of making sure that I got out and voted and encouraged every single person that I know to vote. I was a little fanatical about this year's campaign. Um, What do I think about it? I'm extremely, extremely proud of Georgia. I never imagined that we would be able to turn the state blue but I really believe it was the dedication and the hard work of Stacey Abrams really being out, promoting the message, and really helping people to understand that your individual vote does matter because people have become disenfranchised, especially in the African-American community, really questioning why should I vote. It doesn't make a difference. But I really believe in this last elections that we've seen from um, presidential down to the senatorial races, that we saw a huge difference, that your votes do matter. So, you know, I recognize, you know, the amazing Stacey Abrams, as I've mentioned, and including grassroots organizations like um, Black Voters Matter, you know, all of the hard work that they did, and celebrities like Common who have gone out and traveled the world and traveled the country and really tried to get people to open up their eyes. So I'm excited about it. I think it is a positive pivot in the right direction. I just feel like we're at a we're at a time where our country is much more knowledgeable about the civic and electoral processes than we've ever been before. So I think that the doors are opening and we'll see much more political involvement and civic engagement at higher levels than we've ever seen before. So I'm really excited. That's a great answer. But now back to you personally. Um, <laughs> what, was your, what was your first job in public relations? And um, you know, I know you uh, re- you indicated that uh, it goes that it's in your blood. You know that at, mm-hmm. at the age of twelve you kind of had some sense. But you know, you had to start somewhere. Um, what what got you your first public relations job? And 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 tell us about you know your climb up the ladder uh, as a result of that. Yes. So my first real public relations job was Ketchum Public Relations here in Atlanta. Um, I will say that prior to graduating from college at Florida A&M University, I completed five internships, um, including one with a nonprofit in Tallahassee, one with a small agency in Philadelphia, and another PR internship with the CBS affiliate in Philadelphia. So when I graduated, I really, oh, and a corporate um, internship as well in Tallahassee, I forgot. So I had four PR internships by the time I graduated. But my first official job was with Ketchum Atlanta. And I have to tell you, Art, that I think how I got that job is really an example of how I have unknowingly lived the Latin phrase carpe diem, like seizing the moment, really learning how to not accept no's immediately and figuring out how do I transform these into yeses 
and opportunities, and how do I become bold in the moment to really secure opportunities that I want? So what happened with Ketchum was when I was in my junior year in college, I applied for an internship with Ketchum Philadelphia because that's where I'm originally from. They sent me a letter that said I was not accepted. Well, I was baffled by that because I could not imagine that other candidates had as much experience that I had just in college. And so one spring break, I was coming to Atlanta with a friend, and I said, you know what, I'm going to reach out to the Ketchum Atlanta office and just ask for an informational interview. I asked for an informational interview. I sat down with the internship coordinator. I told her about my experience, you know, with the no response from Philadelphia. So I just wanted to meet you, and if anything opens up, let me know. A week later, I received a phone call that said, Alexis, you have been accepted. You're one of two people chosen out of 300 applicants. Now, had I not had that boldness to pursue and just ask for an informational interview, I would not have gotten my very first professional position at Ketchum Atlanta a year later. And I was actually the first African-American that they hired full-time and the first assistant account executive because they usually hire people with much more, you know, many more years of experience. But I was the first one to really come in at that title and the first African-American. And so that really taught me a lesson that you don't always have to take no for an answer. Let's be creative and let's be strategic about pursuing opportunities. And I really believe that's how I have, achieved the success that I have today, really making sure that if I see something that I really, really want, how do I seize that moment? How do I seize the opportunity? And then my other model is to hustle hard, hustle hard to get it, and then hustle hard to keep it, and hustle hard to get more. Well, that leads me, of course, to my next question, uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and that is, you know, how did, how did your career take you? to the top rungs of the uh, PR agency ladder. Uh, obviously, you had, to have, you had to have increasing promotions and job responsibilities at, at Ketchum. What do you think you were able to demonstrate to Ketchum, in addition you know, to what you just described as never taking no for an answer and just hustling you know, to get where you wanted to go? Are there any other traits and skills or characteristics uh, and advice that you could pass on to, let's say, some of the younger generation just starting out in, in agencies, whether they're African-American or not. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I will say, Art, you know, first I want to say that I am so grateful for the opportunities that I had with Ketchum. As you mentioned in my bio, I had the opportunity to, you know, not just hone my professional skills, which I still apply to my business on a daily basis, but I traveled the world and I met, you know, Prince Albert of Monaco and the rapper LL Cool J and Shakira. I've done all these things. I spent a month in Australia representing the entire agency um, to share our Olympic capabilities. So I had tremendous opportunities. But what I believe helped me succeed in the agency and really and get promoted each year because I did get promoted pretty much every year um, was the fact that I had a strong work ethic. 
I wanted to always be perceived, but followed up with substance and truth, that I'm one of the hardest workers in the room. Um, I believe that my writing skills help to um, help me excel as well because I was a good strategic writer as well as a creative writer. And I also focused a lot on strategy. And while doing creative kind of gimmicky things are cool, you know, I will always ask the question, does this make good strategic sense? How does this support our clients' communications and business objectives? And the other thing is I think that while I was young, I learned to be assertive and confident in my abilities. And the other thing that I think is, is, is huge is you have to be smart, you have to be dedicated, but you also have to be likable. And I think my clients liked me and they trusted me. And both of those are extremely important. So they were important while I was at Ketchum and they're even more important today as I run an, an agency that's run by a black woman that's focused on multicultural and often marginalized audiences. So I really think art is a combination of your hard skills of knowing how to write, knowing how to communicate and articulate yourself and doing it with confidence. But it's also the soft skills of knowing how to build relationships with your clients, with influencers, with media, because these are the things that are going to sustain you for your entire career beyond just the first job or the first agency or the first gig. But at some point during your career, you know, you, you know, uh, given that you were the first African American uh, to join Ketchum, um, and you undoubtedly, you know, did traditional public relations uh, account work on on some of the major brands that you've worked with. At some point, you know, you began to uh, transition into the categories of multicultural uh, diversity, racial equality. How did that evolve? Um, did, were you asked to do that, or is that something that you uh, began to volunteer to do as a, as a means of uh, helping to uh, enhance the education of the clients you worked with? I think it was a combination of being asked by, you know, our visionary leader, Ms. Jane Shivers, who has since retired from the industry. You know, being in Atlanta, she recognized the growing consumer power of African Americans because Atlanta, you know, it's nationally it's known as the Black Mecca. Everybody moves here to make their dreams come true, whether it's through securing a great job at, you know, the world's largest brand, Coca-Cola, or if it's becoming an entrepreneur. Everyone believes you can come to Atlanta. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, that kind of thing. And Jane saw that. And she asked five of us, led by um, Betsy Heldogger-Hughes, would we be interested in developing a practice that was promoted um, I'm sorry, not promoted, but dedicated to focusing on African-American consumers because at that time we started partnering with other agencies who did that. And I think she recognized that here is a business opportunity 
and I have people who would embrace this. And, you know, once she talked to us about it, particularly um, Betsy, as I mentioned, we were off and running, but we made sure that we were prepared to offer this practice. We were not just going to be five black women who say, oh, we know everything about black consumers because we're black. <laughs> you know, we made sure right. that we did the yeah. research. And I believe Ketchum and our group was the first company to really conduct research that looked at the purchasing patterns and media consumption behaviors and the lifestyle and the interest and the level of income growth and education and how all of that drove the African-American mindset and, and what brands could do to tap into that. So we really started studying that and we conducted national research. We had focus groups. We had a lot of conversations. So we really, really came out prepared. And I've recently shared on my social media because this is a little frustrating to me is when I see agencies pick one black person or one Hispanic person and say, hey, we have a practice, or hey, we have an expert, but you don't prepare them. You are not setting that person or your company or your clients up for success. One person does not make an expert or a practice or a specialty. I really believe that the way the African American Markets Group did it was the right way and really the prototype for all of the others that came to follow. So at one point, you obviously decided to start your own agency. That's always a big decision. I mean, I, I had to make that decision in my lifetime at one point, uh, and it's a major, major decision, you know, full of trepidation, you know, unknowns, uh, to, some, to some extent inexperience uh, in running a business and all of those kinds of things. What made you decide to start your own agency, and what, it is, what, what do you feel that you needed to do that you felt you couldn't do it elsewhere? Well, I will say, Art, when I made that decision, it was one of where I had to take a moment and pause and to look at my life from a personal perspective. I graduated from college. I went to work at Ketchum a month later. I continued to, you know, advance in my career and, like I said, travel and do all these things. And while I was happy professionally, I recognized that I was giving everything to my job and to catch them. And I wasn't being the daughter, the sister, the friend, um, the community person that I wanted to be. And I got a little burnt out. I really got burned out. And so, you know, I talked to my parents who were both supportive, and I think that's because they were both entrepreneurs. And I said, I'm going to take a break, and I'm just going to freelance, and I'm going to consult, and I'm going to focus on multicultural because I found that the work that I did um, at Ketchum, working with Coca-Cola, working with, you know, Hallmark Cards, I got really excited about the impact and the difference that it made because I had a chance to see consumers respond to a brand in a way that I've never seen them do. They felt seen, and I was happy to be a part of that. So when I started Precise, I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to focus on African-Americans, 
and U.S. Hispanics because while I was at Ketchum and they, we didn't have a, a large enough Hispanic team, I ended up working on that as well. Um, so I said, I'm going to carry that into this business and pull in some, you know, partners to work with me on the Hispanic outreach. And that's really how Precise was born. My goal was to practice a profession that I love, but doing it in a manner that I believed in. And while billability is important, and trust me, I get it even more now as a CEO, I really wanted to do things that I felt passionate about. And I tell potential new clients and people that call us and anytime I speak that we don't chase every single business opportunity that comes our way. It has to make strategic sense for us. It has to be a company or brand that we believe is doing well in the community, um, general or, you know, multicultural, or they want to do well. And those are the people that we want to be aligned with. Those are the brands that we want to be aligned with. So really that's how I make those decisions. And I've been blessed that I had the opportunity that my very first phone call, again, a carpe diem moment, uh, came from Coca-Cola. And it was all based on me sending a letter to my network saying, hey, I left Ketchum and here's where I am and here's what I'm going to do. And two weeks later, Coca-Cola called me and said, hey, Alexis, can you work with us on Super Bowl 34 here in Atlanta? Oh, my. Well, sure. (laughs) And for the first 15 years of our business, you know, they were our largest client. We implemented nearly 100 programs with them in the multicultural space, African-American and U.S. Hispanic, now called Latinx, as well as some of their general market work. We helped to launch the Coca-Cola fridge pack that really changed how soft drinks are, you know, now packaged and how you carry them home and uh, and store them in your refrigerator. So we've done a lot of work for them. But that's where we get excited, where I get excited, and my team gets excited. And and when we get opportunities, I discuss it with my team. I own this company 100%, but I let them weigh in as their part, as they are partners because I want them to be excited about the business that we do because it will make them more passionate and more productive. Did that answer let's your question? Fast forward to, let's fast forward <laughs> to the present, Alexis. Uh, okay. you know, so you've now been in business for 20 years, and this is an mm-hmm. opportunity for you to get in a good additional plug for your agency, mm-hmm. tell us tell us about what you're focusing on now. If you want to tell us who some of your clients are, or at least what categories they're in, please do so. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your staff, and tell us mm-hmm. about the focus of the agency after you know you're having been in business for 20 years. Right. Okay. So our 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 sweet spot really is focusing on multicultural communications um, from the PR and marketing perspective primarily working with Fortune 500 and maybe some Fortune 1000 companies. Um, As you mentioned, yes, we've worked with some blue chip companies. We continue to work with um, Toyota. Toyota is now our biggest client. Uh, We worked with Pfizer on internal communications. We also Hmm. work with Mass Mutual on their African-American outreach. And then there are some 
smaller organizations that we work with because we have a passion about what they're doing, like the Atlanta Wealth Building Initiative here in the city that's working to erase the racial wealth gap. Uh, so those are, you know, some of the companies. So, again, we focus on multicultural outreach from media relations, experiential marketing, digital marketing, and consumer brand marketing are our four areas. And in terms of our capabilities, we do everything under the marketing communication spectrum with the exception of advertising. You know, I tell people we don't do creative and we don't do buying, but we have partners for that. Uh, so that's really our focus. And while we can do mainstream work, and we have had clients in the past, um, like Open Door that we worked with a couple of years ago, um, we can do that because most of us started in the general marketing space. But our sweet spot where we're able to really compete and to do work that makes a difference really is the multicultural outreach. So I've grown from a team of one <laughs> and then hiring contractors to now having, um, we're, we're small, I say we're small but mighty. We have five employees in Atlanta, uh, two in our Hispanic team in Miami, and then we have eight affiliates that we've maximized as well across the country from New York and D.C. all the way to Phoenix and Los Angeles, but we've really become known for our storytelling abilities and also our work in the experiential marketing space, which has been interesting because we didn't really start out in that, but Toyota started asking us to manage some brand activations, and now we're really starting to become known for that kind of work. Do you collaborate with other uh, uh, African-American-owned public relations firms around the country? Yes, and those are my eight affiliates across the country. They are okay, all African-American owned, and they're primarily um, solo practitioners. But it's great to have them because in D.C., you know, she understands the whole political field and the public affairs field. So when we need her, that's when we tap into her. If we need to do some Southwest outreach, then I have a person in Phoenix Um We've been talking a lot about different COVID vaccine programs and recognizing that in the Hispanic market, Mexicans suffer the most. And so we've recently engaged an L.A. affiliate to help us with that. So each person has a specialty that really complements what we offer. Most of our programs are national, and we've implemented everything from Miami to Chicago to Dallas to Houston, and my team has done that. But it's always great when you can have someone to either provide expertise that you don't have or to provide that local insight from being there on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm really happy with, you know, the affiliates that have agreed to work with us. So how satisfied are you, Alexis, with where diversity and inclusion are in the public relations profession these days? It's obviously come a long way uh, from, from the day when you were uh, the first African-American to, to join Ketchum. Uh, well, where do you think it is, and what, what else needs to be done? All right, I am not satisfied, because I think that's, that's a question where it's either yes or no. Are you satisfied or are you not satisfied? It's not like, <laughs> are you kind of satisfied? Like, no, I'm not satisfied. I do think that our industry 
has come a long way, but I don't think it's come far enough. I will tell you that I am am impressed that I see more African-American professionals entering the field. I see more of them getting career opportunities that were not available, um, you know, when I started years ago. And we're starting to see more people, um, particularly in agencies, get to the VP level. But when we talk about agencies and even the C-suites of major consumer brands, there's still not enough diversity there. Our industry is not immune to this diversity problem. So I would never say or pick on PR. Everybody has work to do. My frustration comes from the fact that diversity is still a topic that it was 30, almost 30 years ago. The questions are still the same. I'm still hearing people say, well, I don't know where to identify diverse talent. And my question is, well, are you still going to the same college that's predominantly white that you've been recruiting? Have you thought about historically black colleges or other colleges that have, you know, high attendance rates of African-Americans or Hispanics or Native Americans or Asian-Americans? You have to change your strategy and you have to get out of your comfort zone to really identify people. Um, So my frustration is with that, is that we've been talking about this so long that honestly, it should not be an issue. So we clearly, clearly have work to do, not just recruiting young entry-level people, but making sure that we retain the minority and multicultural talent that we have working for us, making sure that we're cultivating cultures where they feel welcomed, where they feel like they have not only a seat at the table, but a voice that is heard and respected and built upon and that they really get opportunities to advance. I also think our industry has an issue with, you know, at the very top levels, it's still very, very driven by white men when it's more women in this business than anything. So we need to see, you know, more people, you know, I was so happy when Barry Rafferty, you know, was leading Ketchum and now, you know, she's moved on to Wells Fargo, but we need to see more women in leadership. So, you know, when I talk about diversity, I am really truly looking at it from a broad perspective. Yes, I love more opportunities for African-Americans because it's, it's close to my heart and I know what this industry has done for me. I know what I try to do to make a difference. So, yes. But we need to be looking at how do we have more Hispanics? How do we have more Asian American Pacific Islanders? How do we embrace the LGBTQ, you know, consumer market and and embracing them in their jobs? Because what we do requires a broad perspective. And I say to people, if you are developing PR campaigns that does not reflect either America or your consumer base, you're not doing your job well. It's important that our media lists reflect that. If, 
you know, you can't just say, well, you know, I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to do, you know, um, like, I'm think of a magazine, but Vogue, for example. I'm just going to do Vogue. But you have a beauty product and recognizing that African-American women and Hispanic women outpace the general market in spending on beauty products. So are you looking at Vanidades? Are you looking at Essence Magazine? If you're not, you're not doing your job well. And I just think, again, this goes back to I don't believe anyone is really functioning in a purposeful way where they're like, well, no, I just don't want to include them. I just think people function in their comfort zone. And for us to do what we do well, you have to go beyond that. And you really have to learn and understand what drives consumer behavior. And that does vary by culture. So you're, you're currently active with the Council's Academy. And by the way, uh, uh, I have been, too, at various times in my career. I was also on its executive committee at one point and, and uh, held officer positions uh, in it. And uh, for a long stretch, I attended pretty much every spring conference for, you know, for many, many years. Uh, so you are, the, uh, you are now the new membership chair of uh, the Council's Academy. Um, what, what, what imprint are you putting uh, of your own? that will help foster the goals that you're describing for, mm-hmm. for the Council's Academy and, and for the PR uh, profession as a whole? Well, our, I will tell you that Council's Academy has recognized me and, and a few others as very vocal about the greater need for diversity in our industry, as well as this particular, you know, special interest group. And one of the things that I love about Council's Academy, and you probably know, they are the most warm and welcoming group of people that I have probably ever met. And I believe they are sincere and committed to that. And they have asked me to, you know, play an active role in diversifying our group. So I will tell you as membership chair I am making sure that more people that look like me are aware of the opportunity that Counselors Academy provides, because I will tell you, I did not know about Counselors Academy until maybe six years ago, because the name is very misleading. You don't know that it's for independent agency owners, and I don't know what made me finally click on something. But I will tell you, when I went to the very first spring conference, um, I think it was in Laguna. I don't know how many years ago that was. And there's always a pre-con session that really helps you better understand how you should run an agency. So they talk about billability. They talk about current rates. They talk about HR issues. They talk about legal issues. Art, when I tell you my mind was blown, like literally, I felt like it was going to explode. I was so excited because I wish I had all that information when I first started because I felt had I had it, I would have been better armed. And when you asked me about becoming an entrepreneur and, and all of that, when you start out in this business, we know PR. That's what we do. And you know PR people, we say we don't know numbers well. We're not good with numbers. We're not good at math. This is why there's so many different things that you have to understand well to be a good CEO. So that is what I believe Counselors Academy has given to me. And what I want to do is to make sure that other minority 
solo practitioners and aid, independent agency owners that they have the same opportunity. So I'm making a personal commitment of making um, sure that people know about it and getting them involved and active with membership. And as the committee chair, I have charged each member with getting at least two people, and that's not a lot to me. I said, by the end of the year, I want every committee member to bring two new people to the table. And, you know, it is my hope that they will reach out to more um, minority consumers who, not consumers, minority agency owners who might not be aware of how amazing Counselors Academy is, because for me, it has truly been a game changer. For me too, by the way, with all due respect, uh, I've learned so much over the years, and I've, you know, and I've uh, done a lot of networking, of course, within the Counselors Academy, uh, and uh, have met a lot of lifelong friends. Uh, so it's an organization that uh, that I can honestly say that has been one of the most valuable valuable in my life, and I believe it's the same for you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Alexis, you volunteer a lot of your time to to other organizations and, and causes. How do you find the time to do it, and why why is it important to you? How do I find the time to give back to community organizations? Art, I will not lie. It's a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge, but it's so important to me, so I make sure that I find time. And, 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 you know, and I admit sometimes I miss a board meeting or two um, because I do, you know, I tell people, you know, I, I eat what I kill. So sometimes I have to be on the hunt um, and that has to be my priority. But for me, it is a personal passion to be involved in the community. And, you know, I often remind myself, Alexis, that's why you started Precise so that you could not only manage your business in a way that you want to, but you can manage your life in the way that you want to. And so, yes, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm involved with Counselors Academy on a national level, and, you know, that takes, you know, some work and time. And then locally, I'm really engaged with Hope Atlanta, which is the leading organization um, to fight homelessness in the city. Um, like I said, a member of the board, and I give them uh, pro bono PR services and counsel as well. And that's so important to me because, you know, Art, I have this thing where, and I know a lot of people are like this, if I could save everybody, I could. If I could find a home for every homeless person and figure out all of their issues, I would. But I can't do that. But what I can do is find and contribute to organizations that can address those issues on a much broader level than I can do personally. And so the least I can do is to give my time, my talent, and my treasure. So I really try to do that as much as I possibly can. And the organizations that I really try to align myself with are things that I really do feel passionate about personally. And I will definitely say homelessness. And, you know, over the last year between COVID in the economy, we are seeing those levels of homelessness just rise, 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 and it just really, truly breaks my heart. But I, I'll do everything that I can, and giving back to the community and being involved with organizations is just one way to do that. Alexis, I have, I have one final question for you. This has been a wonderful conversation, and, and I, I thank you for your insights and wisdom. Uh, my final question to you 
is I don't know if you've been asked this recently, but I'm going to ask ask you today. Where do you see where do you see yourself in the years ahead? Where do I see myself in the years ahead? All right, I believe that I will continue running uh, Precise as its president and CEO at least for the next 10 years, but my role will evolve and hopefully in the next five years. It's my hope in the next five years that I will be more of a senior consultant and really addressing high-level, critically critically sensitive issues that affect major companies and consumer brands when it comes to building positive relationships and bridges with multicultural communities. I really would like to be, you know, a leading resource to help companies overcome those challenges and to really figure out what are the best communication solutions. And it's my hope that professionally and personally that I am directly contributing to helping to deal with the issue of racism and racial equality in our country. And like I said, I will continue to use my voice, my company, my profession, and my relationships um, to make that happen. And I'll continue to look for ways to do that personally. And then I'm hoping 10 to 15 years from now, I can slowly retire and move to Vancouver, Canada, that I call my happy place, and just relax and chill. But What's important to me is the legacy that I leave behind, and it is my hope that I inspire the generations following me to look at their roles as public relations professionals beyond just a job, to really look at it as influencers and messengers and agents of change. And hopefully I inspire them to do that, and I hope that I inspire more minority um, PR practitioners to start their own agencies. I will say it's not always easy because, you know, when budgets are cut, uh, you know, companies cut BR, PR budgets and then they cut even more out of the multicultural. So you do have to have a passion for this and you have to stay in the fight, but you have to recognize that the fight is worth it because it's beyond you and it's beyond your company and it could really have a huge impact. So, that's the legacy that I, I hope to leave behind, besides the fact that I hope that people think I was a great sister and a great friend and a great aunt and a great daughter. That's the most important thing to me, and a great community citizen, as I said. Well, Alexis, all I can say is that if if the future is anything like what you've accomplished during the past and the present, then you should be a monument on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have given Thank a great deal so of our and I thank you so much for joining us today. This has been very, very inspirational, and I know our listeners will appreciate all the words of wisdom that you have shared with us today. So, Alexis, thank you so very, very much for joining us today. Thank you, Art, for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I thank you, our listeners, for joining us today and uh, having another opportunity to 
listen to one of the giants in our industry today, Alexis Davis-Smith, the president and CEO of Precise Communications. Uh, and I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to tune into our upcoming PR Masters podcast series. We hope to continue to educate and inspire you. So until next time, I'm Mark Stevens, wishing you all the very best.